มามามาเราไปขอบคุณเ
warfare, your transitions will always be met with warfare. Your transitions, the season of transitioning, will always be met with some type of warfare. That's why many of us are stuck in our transition. We're still stuck in the I'm about to. We're still stuck in the maybe tomorrow. We're still stuck in our transitions because we didn't realize that our transitions were going to be met with opposition. And so we're still stuck going in circles. You ain't got to talk to me. Because the enemy, believe it or not, would much prefer that we do not make the transition. We have an enemy who would much prefer that you do not effectively or successfully make the transition from good to better or bad to better or from good to best transition. And so going through the book of Joshua, it will help us with strategy. It's going to help us with vision. It's going to help us to prepare the season or prepare us for the season that God has for us. I'm distracted. Let me fix my podium. I'm sorry. There we go. When we look at the book of Joshua, we'll discover that it beholds one of human history's greatest accomplishments. The Jews destroy the walls of Jericho. And soon after they destroy the walls of Jericho, they enter into this land that God had been promising them the whole time they had been wandering in the wilderness. But, but, but before they enter into the promised land, their leader Moses informs them. He says, listen, we're about to cross into the Jordan River and we're about to conquer a people who are greater than us, a land that is greater than us, giants. He told them this. He informed them that the cities were fortified. And if you look in the scripture, he says that he tells the people the walls reach to the sky. This is how fortified the walls of Jericho were. That when you look up, there were, you could not see the ending because they were so tall. This is one of the history's most amazing accomplishments, destroying the walls of Jericho, conquering the giants. But see, that's not what intrigued. What does? That's not what intrigued me. Conquering the giants. It's interesting, but it's not what intrigues me. Walking around the walls of Jericho and the walls come tumbling down. That's powerful, but it's not what intrigues me. It's what happens before the walls of Jericho that interests me. Just like last last week or a couple of weeks ago. It is the 40 years that the people were going in circles in the wilderness. They were walking in circles, skirting the land to the point where God said, listen, you have been going in circles long enough. You've been going around this valley or this mountain long enough. It's time for you to go forward and stop going backward. It's the 40 years 
of emotional immaturity that caused them to live in subpar situations. It was their emotional maturity that cost them the lives of their loved ones. Emotional maturity was the reason that they remained in the wilderness. Selfishness, pride. I'm going somewhere. Y'all just follow me. We just, we just slowly walk in this thing into where we're going. Complacency, negative thinking, complaining. These things kept them stuck in the wilderness when God was trying to get them to go to Canaan. But then, when we enter into the book of Joshua, we'll discover that there is a man by the name of Joshua that God had raised up, that God over and over told him, listen, be encouraged. I've called you to do a great thing. Be encouraged and fear not. I need you to lead these people. Be encouraged and fear not, Joshua. I have chosen I've chosen you. They arrived at a season in their lives where they were confused. They had more questions than they had answers. They couldn't quite hear the people of Israel. They couldn't quite hear the voice of God. And God was trying to transition them into a new season. The people were scared. And yet they were faced with this river, the Jordan River, that they had to cross. Another miracle that God was about to do in their lives. They were confused and many of them wanted to turn back around and head to Egypt. And when you, when you read the first chapter of Joshua, it had gotten to the point that three of the tribes of the people, they decided that they were going to stay on the east side of the Jordan. They didn't want to see the land of Canaan. They were content in their situation. Two and a half of the tribes decided, you know what, I know, God, that you have a promise for me. I know that you have spoken over my life. I understand all of that, but the grass I have right now is good. I don't need what you have for me on the other side of the Jordan. Some people that are in your circle, some people that are in your life will be comfortable and content right where they are, and that's okay. You can stay on the east side, but I, I need to go into Canaan. God then, he appoints a new leader in Joshua. He announces in Joshua chapter 1, this is Joshua. This is the one who is going to lead you all into the land of Canaan because Moses couldn't make it. But the beautiful thing about God is, yes, he, he announces Joshua in Joshua chapter 1, but he chose Joshua in Numbers chapter 27. He, he, he appointed Joshua in Joshua chapter 1 before the people. But he had already been planning what he had in store for Joshua back in Numbers chapter 27. When, when it was uh, Moses who made the mistake and he struck the rock and he disobeyed God and he was on the mountain and God said, listen, because you disobeyed me, you won't be able to go into the land of Canaan that I had promised the people. Then Moses says, well, Lord, I understand it's your will, but can you please appoint someone who will lead the people through battle? Appoint someone who will follow you. And the Lord said, guess what? I've already got somebody that I've been preparing. His name is Joshua. And then he says, I want you to go and find Joshua 
And I need you to begin delegating some of your authority to him so the people can now see that he is somebody that I have ordained. And so, so then Moses then goes and he finds Joshua. And then he tells Joshua, I need you to take some of my authority. Not all, just a little bit. And so he began to train Joshua, his, his right-hand man, back in numbers. And then now it's time for, for Joshua, now it's time for you to move beyond someone else's shadow. Now it's time for you to stand up and walk into the promise that God had been preparing you for. I know you don't feel like you're qualified. I know you don't feel like you know enough of the Bible. I know you feel like you don't have it all together, but the Lord has called you. I've been preparing you. And now in Joshua chapter 1, it's time for you now to stand up and to start leading the people around you. You got to leave out of someone else's shadow. There was a lot of confusion. There was a lot of confusion. But then the Lord began to talk to Isaac. And he said, listen. They were on their way. They're on their way to the promised land. They are now crossing the Jordan River, which is a miracle in and of itself. But Isaac, there's some promised land prerequisites that I need you to be mindful of. There's some some things that I need you to get in, in place. There's some things I need you to remember before you enter into the season that God, that I have for you. I said, okay. He said, take some notes. So I started taking some notes. This might be a little discombobulated. But before you enter, before you maximize that which God has for you, there are a couple of things that you need to take with you. This is just the preamble into our series, This Means War, because it does mean war. You can't enter into a new season. You can't assume new territory in your life without expecting some type of spiritual warfare. And so you need to declare right now, even in your life, that look, this means war because I have to fight for what God wants me to have. And he says, number one, things you need to know, God, things you need to know, Isaac, of how to properly prepare for victory. Number one, God was telling me that I, I was preparing you for Canaan even when it wasn't looking like it. I was preparing you for Canaan even when it didn't seem like it. Even when it didn't feel like it. What are you saying? Exodus Chapter 17, around about verse 8, it reads, While the people of Israel were still in Rephidim, the warriors of Amalek, giants, attacked them. Giants attacked the army, the Israelites. Moses commanded Joshua, choose some men to go out and fight the army of giants for us. Tomorrow I'll stand on top of the hill holding the staff of God in my hand. 
So Joshua did what Moses had commanded and fought the giants. Meanwhile, Moses, Aaron, and Hur climbed to the top of the nearby hill. As long as Moses held up the staff in his hands, the Israelites had advantage. But whenever he dropped his hand, the giants gained advantage. Moses' arms soon became so tired he could no longer hold them up. So Aaron and Hur found a stone for him to sit on. They stood on each of his, on each of his side and they lifted his arms up so his hands held steady until sunset. As a result, the Bible said that Joshua overwhelmed the army of giants. Exodus chapter 17 is the first time we hear the name Joshua. This is before God even appointed him in numbers. So before God even chose Joshua, he was already fighting giants that you didn't even know about. God had already had him fighting, leading a military, gaining skill in the military, even when we didn't even, we were so focused on Moses that we didn't even see Joshua. We didn't even pay attention to Joshua. And, and, and I believe that God was saying to Joshua and God is saying to us that I was preparing you for Canaan even when it didn't look like you were being prepared. Even when it didn't feel like it, you are promised land material. I know you don't feel like it. I know it doesn't look like it. I know you got so much confusion going on. I know you've made mistakes, but you need to know that you are promised land material. I was preparing you for this moment even before you even realized it. And you keep reading, you keep reading, and then you learn that even in Exodus chapter 33, that whenever Moses would go into the tabernacle, the place of meat that they call it, of meeting, when he would be face to face with the presence of God, there was only one person in Exodus, this is before he was chosen, who had a chance to guard the tabernacle while Moses was, was speaking to God face to face, getting strategy from God. There was one person in Exodus chapter 33 who guarded the temple, who got a chance to hear God talk to Moses. And even after Moses would leave, it said that, that, that Joshua would remain behind in the temple, in the tabernacle, in the presence of the Lord. The Lord was growing him, not just military, but the Lord was growing him even spiritually, even when he didn't real, even when he didn't realize it. And through all of these different things, then God called him in Numbers chapter 27 and began to prepare him. But it was 40 years before Moses even made the mistake that, that God was already grooming Joshua to take his position or Joshua to be a leader. I am saying that God is already preparing you for where he is sending you. And so the Lord is saying to you that God is de developing you for Canaan even when it doesn't feel like it. Second point, promised land prerequisites. The Lord is preparing me, even through the divorce. The Lord is preparing me, even through uh, these failed relationships. The Lord is preparing me, even though I don't have a job. The Lord is preparing me 
although I have so many uh, haters in my, the Lord is preparing me. Although it didn't seem like I have a peace of mind, God is preparing me. It doesn't feel like God is preparing me, but you need to know that God is preparing you right where you are for where he is sending. He is sending you. The second thing, promised land prerequisites, things you need to know so that you can prepare for victory. What I like in, in chapter, uh, chapter 5 of the book of Exodus, I mean the book of Joshua. It says, read, read along with me verses 2 through 12 because I need this if I'm going to give you the rest of the points. It says, at that time, this is before they get to the walls of Jericho. And this is after they have crossed the Jordan River. God needs to now prepare them for their first achievement that is conquering the walls of Jericho. It says, at that time, the Lord said to Joshua, make flint knives and circumcise the second generation of Israelites. So Joshua made flint knives and circumcised the entire male population of Israel. Joshua had circumcised them. Why? Because all the men who were old enough to fight in battle when they left Egypt, they died in the wilderness. Those who left Egypt had all been circumcised, but none of those born after the exodus during the years in the wilderness had experienced circumcision. Follow this. The Israelites had traveled in the wilderness for 40 years until all the men who were old enough to fight in battle when they left Egypt had died. For they had disobeyed the Lord and the Lord vowed he would not let them enter into the land he had sworn to give us. The land flowing with milk and honey. So Joshua circumcised their sons, those who had grown up to take their father's place. Those who had grown up to take their father's place. For they had not been circumcised on the way to the promised land. After all the males had been circumcised, they rested in the camp until they were healed. Then the Lord said to Joshua, today I have rolled away the shame of, your, of the slavery, of your slavery in Egypt. So that place then was called Gilgal. Then keep, keep reading, keep reading. While the Israelites were camped at Gilgal at the plains of Jericho, they celebrated the Passover on the evening of the 14th day of the first month. The very next day they began to eat unleavened bread and roasted grain harvested from the land. Why is this important? Because they were in the wilderness for 40 years and for 40 years they ate manna from heaven and quail. They get tired of eating the same thing over and over and so now it's teaching us that they're now about to eat or they're eating grain that comes from the land that they have harvested, that they have planted themselves. So, so something is changing. No manna appeared on the day they first ate the crops of the land and it was never seen again. So from that time on, the Israelites ate from the crops of Canaan. But what I like is it says that today in verse 9. I have rolled away the shame of your slavery in Egypt. Promised land prerequisites. The second thing is you can't carry dead weight where you are going. You cannot carry dead weight from Egypt into Canaan. You cannot carry dead weight where you are going. Because to carry around dead weight 
It means you're carrying around something that has no real significance or purpose in your life. As a matter of fact, it does more hurt to you than it does help for you. Shame. And so, so, I, so I was reading something and then I'm still trying to research whether or not this has much accuracy to it. But it still, it still was intriguing enough in the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire. Some of the people, some of the criminals, the worst and worst of criminals, we know that the Romans, they, they uh, perfected the art of the crucifixion where they would inflict the most amount of pain over the longest period of time. But it is said that there were some criminals who were, who were even worse than those who deserved crucifixion. And so what would they do to these criminals who were the worst of the worst? The Bible said, well, not the Bible. I read a few places and it says that the, the criminals who were the worst of the worst, what the Roman Empire would do, they would then attach a dead corpse to uh, the naked back of the criminal. And so this criminal then would be chained to a dead corpse. And so this criminal would then have to walk around with this corpse on their back, his, his back. And so as the corpse was decomposing, the different uh, poisons would then leak onto the, the body of the criminal, eventually making him more sicker than he was and killing him even slower and a more painful death. And that's what they call dead weight. And so when we listen to this idea, myth or truth, Carrying dead weight was a punishment for the criminals. But when we think about the Romans and we think about us today, many of us inflict pain on ourselves because we're attached to things we don't need to be attached to. And now we're dying a slow and painful death. I am saying you cannot go where God is sending you if you are carrying dead weight. Shame. He said, listen, Joshua, Joshua, I know you've been in the wilderness for 40 years. I know that you have seen me provide for you and for everyone else for 40 years. I know you have experienced the presence of God 40 years. I know you have been in my presence. You've seen the miracles. I know you've, word through, I, I know you've heard me speak to your people for 40 years. But for 40 long years, you've been carrying the shame from Egypt. You don't look like it, but you're carrying it. You come into church, but you're carrying it. It's been 20 years, but you're still carrying the guilt of what had happened to you. And, and the Lord is saying, where I am trying to take you, the shame, the guilt, the disappointment, you cannot carry it across that threshold. You cannot carry the dead weight from your past, Isaac, because it will mess up your present and your future. Promised land prerequisites. The next thing, what I like, what I like, what I like, what I like. I, I, I love this, I love this, I love this. I know I'm supposed to talk about the walls of Jericho, but I'll get there. It says that in verse 12, no manna appeared on the day they first ate from the crops of the land, and it was never seen again. So from that time on, the Israelites ate from the crops of Canaan. Promised land prerequisites. As your seasons change, your level of feeding must also change. As your seasons change, 
Your level of feeding must also change. You cannot survive in Canaan on a wilderness diet. I know you've been eating and I know you like matter, but if you're going to enter into the place that I am sending you, you're going to have to eat from the land of Canaan. And some of your habits, your, your, your diet cannot sustain the weight of your destiny. Things you've been asking God for, your habits cannot sustain it. And so you need to break some habits and develop some new habits if you want to lay claim of the things in Canaan. I am saying that when we look in this text, they arrive at a specific they arrive at a specific point where they had to stop eating the manna that they've been eating for 40 years. And then they, they now had to start eating the crops of the land. I imagine there was a little indigestion. Because when you switch diets, you know, your body doesn't always agree with it. So there might be a little pain in your transition. It might not go as, as comfortable as you want it to go, but I am saying you have to change your diet. You have to change the way you think. You have to change some things if you want to enter into Canaan. I'm saying every season you enter into requires a different level of feeding. You've been coming to church long enough and sitting in the same position. It has to change if you want to change. Someone else needs to sit where you sit and you need to bring some. You need to be teaching someone else. Oh. He preached the message, but it didn't quite move me like it used to move me. It's because your level of feeding is supposed to change. Because the word is now for someone else, and now you need to sit someone else, and now you need to start talking to them, and you didn't understand this. Let me tell you what he was really saying, and let me break it down for you. I am saying that your level of feeding must change. You cannot, rem I can't spoon feed you forever. At some point in time, you got, you, you got to get up and you, 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 you got to get more and you got to buy yourself more. Promised land prerequisites. Now, yeah, and, and, and the next one, number, number four. It's not as good, but it's still one. I'm supposed, I'm supposed to give it to you anyway. I got to give it to you whether I like the point or not. I got to give it to you. Um, so, so I know, I know, I know, so we start saying circumcision, all the women are like, ah, mm, 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 you know, but listen, 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 listen. <laughs> and so in this chapter, we see Joshua, and the Bible is saying that he is going through this process of circumcision or circumcising a new generation of men. Because God needed to die off or kill off the old generation of men. And so now he has to raise up some new men. And he now has to circumcise the new men so that they now can be prepared to go in battle. And so God taught me, I said, well, what, 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 what are you saying here? What are you saying? What are you saying? What, what is going on here? You can't fight today's battles with yesterday's people. You can't fight today's battles with yesterday's people. Some people in your camp is the reason why you're stuck in the wilderness. I know I say it a different way each week or the last couple of weeks, but obviously we need to get this point because God wants me to give it to you. I'm simply saying that God kept them in the wilderness until the right people left. And, and when the right people left, 
Then he said, now you're ready for where I need to send you. I understand that they are their father's children, but you don't have to do what your parents did. You don't have to follow in every footsteps that they followed in. And so now I'm going to raise up some new men and I need you to circumcise them, build them up. I need you to understand that you need some new people in your circle. You need some vacancies in your circle. Because God can't give you what you, he can't give you someone, he can't bring someone alongside you if you don't have any vacancy. Sometimes it's a blessing in an empty seat. There is a blessing sometimes in having an empty seat. Then God can bring someone, some people alongside who can help you in this season. Promised land, we ain't even talking about the promised land. We're talking about before you get to the promised land. So you won't sabotage your promised land and go over and over again. We're going to a new season, same people, same thinking. Next point, and I'm almost finished. So we talk about circumcision. And circumcision, if we make it plain here, was a sign of transformation. Right. It was it, it, it meant that you had subscribed to a new way of thinking and now you belong to the Lord. And this is a sign that I have been transformed. Circumcision, the best way we can understand it today. Circumcision. But then God said, I said OK, why are we still talking about this? Why, why is it important? Because he had to circumcise the men. They had to be transformed. You, you need some people in your circle who have been transformed. You don't just need new people. We all can find new people. But I need someone who, who can call on the Lord when I need their help. I need someone who has had a, a, a crucified encounter with Jesus Christ. I need some people who have been transformed. And so God, 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 God said, God said, then this is the point. You can't fake transformation. You can't fake transformation. Promised land prerequisites. What are you saying? I'm saying because where you're going, you're about to encounter some giants. And giants have the tendency to prove what you've been pretending to be. And I don't need to find out when we get into battle that you're not who you said you really were. And so you got to make sure that people in your circle know the Lord. I'm not saying that the only people everybody gets. That's not what I'm saying. Just hear what I'm trying to get to you, what I'm trying to put in your lap. The Lord says you cannot fake transformation. Because where I'm sending you, you're about to go into warfare. You're about to go into battle to face some giants. And you need some people when they face some giants, when they go to battle, that they don't change up on you. You can't fake Transformation where I am sending you. And the last thing, last thing. When we look in chapter six, I was reading chapter six, I was reading chapter six, and they've crossed the Jordan River. And in crossing the Jordan River, they're now their first assignment. <laughs> has to be the greatest of all assignments. 
is that they now have to conquer. They have to go through Jericho in order to get to Canaan. In order to get to their new season, they have to go through some, some, some turbulence. They had to go through some warfare. And they had to destroy the walls that reached up to the sky. We thought that they were protecting them, but it really was keeping them in bondage. The Bible says when you read chapter 6, verse 1, that, that they had the walls sealed shut because they were afraid of Joshua and the people coming along with them. And then God said, listen, I don't need you to go running into the walls. You ain't got to always get real dirty. You ain't always, I just want you to make sure you get the people getting the right or, or and do things the way that I tell you to do them. But what I want you to do more importantly is I want you to make sure that you go around, you walk around the wall once each day. And around the wall, when you walk around the wall on the seventh day, I want you to walk around seven times. And you're going to have some people blowing some trumpets and, and, and I say, shout, then I want you to shout. Because when I say shout, then, I, then, then what, what you're going to experience is that the walls will come tumbling down. And so what I like about the passage is one, yes, there are walls erected and we look at the walls and we immediately say, oh yeah, they were protecting. No, walls don't always protect us. But walls sometimes will keep us in bondage. One. But what was so fascinating to me, and it still is, is that they arrived at a point where Joshua looked at the people and he said, I don't want you to say a word. Keep your mouth closed. The entire seven days. I don't want you to open your mouth. I don't want you to murmur a word. Until I say so. And when I say speak, then I want you to speak. Looking at this, the last point is there are some barriers in your life that are restricting you to becoming the best version of yourself. There's some walls. It was, it's just fascinating to me that they could have went around the walls. They could have found another route. But God wanted them to destroy what appeared to be indestructible. God wanted them to experience through his power that they were able to destroy the walls that were in front of them. Although it seemed like I've been trying to destroy this habit so long and I can't get rid of it. It just seems like it's indestructible. God is saying you have the power. There's some walls in your life that need to come down. And the only way they're going to come down, I need you, one, to be judicious with your voice. You, some of us talk too much. And what I believe God was saying is that sometimes you have to know how to just keep your mouth shut. Some of us, we need to know when to speak up. Some of us need to speak up, but there, you need to be more judicious. You need to be a better steward over the words that come out of your mouth. There is victory in your voice. And yet there is venom in your voice as well. There's both victory and venom in your voice. And you have to choose which one of them will be characterized with your life. There are walls in your life that need to come down. But for some of us, the only way those walls come down is if you learn how 
to be a little bit more judicious. Close your mouth, move your feet. So you, you don't have to talk about what God is doing. You don't have to let everybody know what God is doing right now. You just need to shh. You talk so much. God, just shh. I, I, I'm about to do it. We don't need to know what you're what you about to do. We don't need to know what you, what you, Joshua said, listen, be quiet. Shut your mouth and just embrace the presence of God. Because they had to walk around, but they had to follow the presence of God. They walk around quiet and just being in God's presence and just watch God move. And when the time comes, yes, you open your mouth. There are walls in your life. Walls of indecision. Walls of fear. Walls of inflexibility. Walls of laziness. Sinfulness. Disobedience. Walls of complacency. Walls of the lack of vision. That are standing in front of you. And they look so insurmountable because they're so high. They seem impervious. You can't get through it. But I believe God is saying that you can destroy the walls in your life because you can't get where you're trying to go. If you do not go through those walls, we have some walls that we've built. Every one of us have some type of wall. And the question is, what kind of wall is standing in front of you? What kind of wall is keeping you from becoming the best version of yourself? God is saying you have the power through his spirit to destroy that negative thinking, to destroy that pessimism, that doubt, the critical talking. God says you can destroy the walls in front of you. There are promised land prerequisites. That's all I have for you today. It's 11 o'clock. But listen, listen, what's uh, equally important is that um, I give you an opportunity for those of us who have never had an encounter with Jesus Christ, who don't know what salvation is, who would love to know um, what do I do so that I can now be saved. I've been coming to church. I've been doing service projects, but I don't think I know Jesus in the pardon of my sin. I am saying to you that we want to create a space for you through those double doors. I promise you there is nothing bad, nothing scary through those double doors. Um, we have a room for you. We would love to talk with you. We would love to discuss with you the A, B, and C's of salvation. If there is uh, something that we can help you get connected to throughout this church, we can help you. If you want to become a member, whatever it is, we can help you here. And so if you have not had an encounter with the crucified Christ, if you have not uh, been saved and you would love to be, you would like to be saved, we'll learn more about that um, as we give our benediction, I want to say to you, just come through those double doors. We have some prayer people, some people of our prayer team who will meet you. And I will also come to meet you to help you to go through that process as I'm also helping uh, them to be able to receive you. Amen? Amen. We don't want to force it upon you. We want you to be prayerful about it, but we want to give you this opportunity. Let us pray. 
Lord, we thank you for what our eyes have seen, our ears have heard, and our hearts have felt. We're praying, God, that you speak to us. You allow us to digest what you have blessed us with. Allow us, God, not to overlook uh, what you have given us today. Allow us, God, to be good stewards over this season. Lord, we love you. Lord, we thank you right now. Bless every man, boy, woman, girl, uh, under the sound of my voice. Lord, we love you, and Lord, we thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Don't move anywhere. Listen, I have something to say to you. I want to say to all of my wonderful women here, happy Valentine's Day. All of our men, let's, let's give a, a, a round of applause for our women. Now, listen, this is what we have done for you. For all of our women, on your way, I look around. See, we're so, we're so scripted. We got this thing all figured out.